Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPOpod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. We got the whole gang already. What's going on? Hey, how's it going, Sean? Good, man. There's Chris. Hey, Hey, Chris. What's up? What's up, man? Well, just getting rolling. Where's where? And there's a the man. There's there's Big Mark. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. Good to see you. Good to see you in in, in virtual reality now. That's right. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for making time, Mark. We're gonna pop on some uh, light for you here. Okay, cool. So you guys look pretty. You look even more pretty, more beautiful, more more tan, maybe. <laughs> That's right. I got a dog looking at me. He's about. He says it's time to eat. You're not used to be doing podcasts this late. You're supposed to be feeding me. So. It's it's ribeye time. I just had a ribeye. <laughs> I just had a ribeye. So good. So is that so, ready to rock? I don't so, eat like that. So you just want to start recording, Zach, and we'll start. Yeah, shooting we're ready to go. All right, cool. So hey guys, so um, you know the we got the the notorious Bell Brothers. What's up? Chris, Chris and Mark have been shaking up the world of of everything, really. I mean, Chris, you've been involved in in you know uh, just talking about all kinds of stuff and probably pissing off a bunch of people. Mark, you're just shaking up the world of fitness and non-nutrition. And, you know, I like the, you know, you're making the world a better place to lift, which I think is just a, you know, as a meathead myself, I mean, that's a great sentiment. And I think it carries over to a lot of stuff. And so it's cool to have you guys on here. Um, Mark, you've had, you know, we've had Chris on before and Mark, you've had both Zach and I on, on your podcast. I know I've been up there a couple of times and, uh, Always appreciate the hospitality and, and the stuff that you're putting out there. And you guys have had some really, you know, this is a human performance outlier show. And, you know, we had Eddie Cohen on uh, two or three days ago. And, and yeah, obviously you guys know Eddie, but uh, he, uh, you know, w- w- was one of these guys that you, when you talk about human performance outliers, you know, you're like, well, that guy, definitely. Top he, of the list. Yeah. He's like, you know, <laughs> but Mark, you know, equally Mark, I mean, you, you put up just a humongous, total as a power lifter one of you know one of the better ones of all time you know and and that again is just amazing and then and now you've redefined yourself you you got on board did a bodybuilding contest which is you know as anyone has done that is not easy to do either and won the damn thing and continue to just push and I think it's great and you guys you know you guys constantly have it's like a freak show where you're at I mean it's you know the freaks of the freaks come out and hang out at super training gym and you know you've got all these kind of people in there what do you is there any commonality that you see among all these people that are out on the absolute fringes? I mean, are they all just crazy as hell or, or, or any, any common, you know, cause there's people that aspire to that or look up to that, or they want to make that, you know, they want to be inspired by that. What is that? What is the common things that you guys are seeing with those folks? The main thing I see is, um, you know, it's always the same uh, ingredients and the same recipe for success. There's always uh, you know, hard work, consistency, all the uh, all the pills that people don't want to swallow, all the pills that people don't they don't want to actually take the time to invest in. You can't buy them. You can't outsource them. Uh, you have to do them on your own. You have to kind of do them the, the hard way. 
The other thing I see, and speaking like mainly from my own gym, uh, super training, is the best people, the best lifters that I've ever run into, um, a lot of times, yeah, there's some genetic components to it, but there's also, they also very rarely miss a lift. And they also very rarely will do a lift uh, in a sloppy fashion. And so I think that younger people coming into a strength sport, and you know this from throwing, um, younger people coming into a strength sport don't really understand that when you go too heavy too often, uh, it does not improve your strength. It actually will make you weaker and actually really built, um, beats up your tendons and ligaments. And there are some people that can survive that kind of training. And so every once in a while, you'll get someone that will have a 500-pound bench press that has been really reckless. But usually in general, um, it's you're going to have to really pay attention to detail. So that's another aspect of somebody that's going to be great is going to they're they may not care about all the details of of uh, life in general but if they're going to be good specifically at what it is that they're doing uh they're they're going to really pay attention to detail when it comes to that specific thing so paying attention to the form and technique which is another boring ass thing uh is uh is very very crucial when it comes to strength training what do you think about the mental mindset? I mean, do you think you have to become obsessive about it? Does it have to become a passion or an obsession to do that? I, you know, I, I know my thoughts, but I mean, what are you finding with these folks? You can't do yeah, it casually. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, uh, there's, there's not a lot of balance. You know, people talk about, you know, trying to ha have balance and trying to have a work-life balance or balance between a sport that you're doing. But uh, ultimately, you'll have to be a madman and uh, you'll have to also, uh, you know, if you're, you want to be with somebody else you'll have to find a mad woman or a mad significant other to bring along with you for the ride but they're going to have to understand that you're a little bit nuts in the head and that you like you made this commitment to this uh, particular thing or sport and that's what you love doing and it makes you feel good and hopefully they can be supportive of that Chris, what do you, I mean, you, you've been filming all this stuff and, and you know, and, and in your own right, you, you were a hell of a power lifter, you know, back in your day and, and you know, and then obviously you got sidetracked with injuries and then, and then issues with, you know, alcohol and drug addiction yeah. and, you know, that, that sets you back a lot. I know you've, you've commented to me that your family has been, you know, part of, a big part of how you sort of survived that stuff. And, you know, you had a brother that did, unfortunately didn't. And, and, you know, I think that's yeah. uh I mean, talk a little bit about that relationship, and then you know, I, you know, and what the the one the happiest thing I've seen lately because I've met both your your parents and just seeing those guys yeah. on their journey over the last six months, just getting leaner and, and adopting even at, even at their age, you know, and they're I don't know exactly how old they're I know they're close to what, about seventy ish or so something like that, and, and they're just showing that their age is no, you know, no yeah. no impediment to 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 you know. I, you know, I just want to say that like from bigger, stronger, faster until now. Uh, there's been a huge journey that's taken place and that's sort of what we're working on now is working towards something that sort of showcases that. Uh, for me, a big problem was um, like I was always consistent when I was younger because I loved lifting, right? But how can you be consistent when that's taken away from you when you're in pain every day, right? It's hard to be consistent if everything hurts. And, um, and I put that sort of victim mentality in my head for a long time. Um, it was a reason why I ended up becoming a drug addict and an alcoholic, but the opposite of that and having guys like Mark around me saying like, Hey, you can do this. Like when I was at my lowest point and I reached out, well, I didn't even really reach out, you know, Lauren, my, my ex-girlfriend, um, who was my girlfriend at the time, she reached out to Mark, but once she got in touch with Mark, I thought I was going to be in big trouble. 
I thought that they were going to yell at me. I thought they were going to like disown me, you know, Hey, you saw mad dog die. What are you doing? You know, you idiot. And no one ever said that they just loved me, you know? So I think that was the most important step was, uh, how my family reacted to my drug addiction and alcoholism. Uh, I wasn't shamed. I wasn't like thrown under the bus. It was more like, Hey, we got to fix this as a family. And so that mentality carried forward. You know, I went to rehab, I went to AA, I did all these things to sort of make myself better. And then I realized that, you know, these principles that we learn in rehab and that we learn in AA are the exact same principles. The, the principles of sobriety are the same principles of like getting your act in order, getting your life in order, but also getting your diet in order. You know, like the first step of AA is admit you have a problem. I was powerless over sugar and I was powerless over, you know, candy and shit that I liked, you know, I was completely powerless over it. So I let that run my life and I let that be an excuse um, for things. But once I said, Hey, I'm powerless over this. And I believe something in my higher power at that point, when I started, this was a ketogenic diet. I believe a ketogenic diet could deliver me from this later on. I believe that a carnivore diet could deliver me from this. And um, if you, you know, if you, if you go through the steps, they're all there. You got to take a personal inventory of yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. And the greatest thing about AA and the program um, that relates to like diet training and nutrition is the 12th step, which is now that you've gone through these steps and you've learned all this stuff, carry it forth to others. And I couldn't help but think that when, um, you know, when I saw my parents sick and in danger, you know, my father spent 90 days in the hospital. My mom uh, had a back surgery uh, recently and, you know, was unable to really walk for a long time. And um, it was this, you know, our, the, the death of Mad Dog actually for about five years completely tore our family apart where we just never really talked about it. Like no one ever really brought it up. It just, never, you know, we, it, it, wouldn't, it didn't tear us apart and then say like anybody went a different direction. It just made it like nobody really talked. There, were, there was not a whole lot of communication. But like lately in the past, like ever since we've got my parents on this ketogenic diet in the past like, you know, year and a half or whatever, and ever since, um, you know, sort of Mark has started been doing a lot of stuff on his podcast and, and helping a lot of people diet and training. I just have seen a complete difference in the amount of love and the amount of connection I feel uh, with my family. It just seems like everybody's so tight and so close now. Like my dad texts me every day about how he's training or what he's doing. My mom will text me, hey, I found this new keto snack or, you know, whatever. And it's cute. It's cool. It's like we've just become a lot tighter through uh, nutrition and we're not perfect. You know, there's still a long way to go for everybody, but um, this whole journey has just taught me a ton. What do you think? I mean, you know, Mark is sitting back and, you know, you, you know, you lost one of your brothers and then you saw Chris heading down that same path. Was it, was that, I mean, was there something going on? I was like, I, I'm not gonna lose another brother, this crap. And, and, and did the fam was the family a different response or, I mean, what was the difference? I mean, why is Chris still here and, and mad dog is gone? I mean, I mean, they're different personalities. Maybe there's different things going on, but I mean, was there something that you guys were determined we're not going to lose another brother or how did, how did that play? I mean, it's gotta be, I mean, something that's really powerful that, that, you know, kind of scares people. I think, you know, maybe the, the biggest difference between the two is uh, Mike often talked about how he just, that he didn't want to be here anymore. Like he said it uh, very openly and he said it, um, you know, both sober and, and not sober. And so, I think that maybe he like generally meant that. I think that um, maybe he didn't have all the coping mechanisms that he needed uh, to uh, have the self-worth to still be here. 
And I think that Chris, even though he went through some hard times, I think that he still wanted to be here or there was something inside of him that still want, he still wanted to be here. So with Mike's passing, while it's tragic and it does make us sad and makes you cry and makes you think about him a lot and stuff like that. But uh, the way that I'm okay with it is knowing that I feel I always did the best when he was around. I always tried to uh, you know, not be judgmental towards him the best that I could. It, was, it wasn't always easy. Um, but also the fact that he mentioned many, many times over that he just didn't want to be around. So I kind of think in my head, I'm like, okay, well, that'd be selfish if, if I wanted him around now because he always said he didn't want to be here. And so I kind of think about it in those terms. I think the main difference between the two is that there was something inside of Chris and we just had to kind of uh, dig, dig down and kind of see what that was. And the, the main thing with him was to figure out how do we, with Mike, I believe that Mike, you know, may have also had a mental disorder along with being addicted to drugs. And with Chris, I don't know if there was a mental disorder there. It doesn't appear that there is. It doesn't appear that there is. It's <laughs> a little weird. Yeah. yeah I think I, I've been, I I've been accused meat. of that too. Yeah. You only eat meat, so you never know. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> hey, hey, Mark, let me just, let's go back to, to your journey because I mean, you know, what, 10, 15 years ago, you were in a very different place. I mean, as far as, you know, I, I heard some of your story about how, you know, you guys were just scraping by and, and now life's pretty good. I mean, you guys are doing well and uh, enjoying. I mean, I think more importantly than the financial set success, I think it's just, you know, you can tell you enjoy what you're doing. And I think that's, that says more than anything. And so talk to us a little bit about, you know, you know, whatever it was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you and Andy were hanging out going, shit, what are we going to do? We just had a baby and you know, whatever. Did you, did you anticipate you'd be where you are today? Did you know that in the back of your mind that you'd be here or what were your thoughts and how did that progress over the years? You know, if you're to ask, you know, people uh, who are successful, if you're to ask them, uh, you know, the question of, um, you know, did you struggle in the beginning and was it hard? A lot of people, when they first think about it, will probably say no. And I think the reason, the reason why I kind of say no, the reason why I would say um, I always did envision this for myself, there's a couple of reasons why. Reason number one is I, I always, uh, I always thought highly of myself. I always thought that uh, I deserved a lot. I always thought that I had a lot to offer. And so I always thought that if I was just a good person, if I just tried to do the right thing as much as I possibly could, that it didn't matter uh, whether I was smart or didn't matter if I knew how to make money. It didn't matter what I knew or what I didn't know. It didn't matter where my shortcomings were, uh, that good things were going to come my way and good things were going to happen. The other part of that is that I think that when you're on a path and you're trying to be successful and these are things that I learned from uh, lifting was you know I had a goal to squat 500 pounds and I had a goal to squat 600 pounds 700 800 900 and ultimately 1080 and all those things ended up actually coming true all those things actually ended up happening I reached nearly every single goal uh, that I wanted to and then I had to kind of rewrite the story again so when I think back to those times, it's like in my head, I already rewrote what the story was, you know, and maybe the story was, maybe I was a struggling loser. Maybe I was a bum. Maybe I didn't have a driver's license. Maybe I didn't have a car. Maybe I didn't have a bank account. And maybe I didn't have two nickels to scrape together when I met my wife. But in my head, a lot of that is blocked out because of, uh, you know, you kind of rewrite your history and you rewrite the story that you tell. So there was hard times in there and that things were uh, tough. And um, but when I stumbled upon the slingshot, it was like a um, uh, 
it was like uh, getting a lottery ticket and a crystal ball all at once because I actually saw my future and I saw that what was going to uh, come from that. And I just, I immediately knew, I was like, I don't know exactly how, I don't know when or how I'm going to put this thing together and uh, get the message out there. But for some reason, like even certain numbers popped in my head and I knew uh, that I could get the company to certain spots by myself. I like envision the whole thing is really, a uh, really pretty crazy thing to have happen. He also talks about uh, a dream that he had. Um, he always wanted to create something. He always knew that he wanted to, you know, make, you know, put something out to the world and that he had this thing. It's kind of funny because Mad Dog talks about it. Like there's something out there, you know, in the world that I'm supposed to be doing and I don't know what it is yet, you know, and Mark kind of had that same feeling. But when Mad Dog passed away, he had a dream and Mad Dog, you know, had passed away and he came to Mark in his dream and he just said, think, you know, and uh, he woke up and he was scared and he told Andy, like, he was freaking out. You yeah, know, it was like, I, it was like, a, it was like a, a ghost whispered in my ear and I've, I've told other crazy weird things that happened. You know? I've told other friends about it too. that have had people pass and they've had similar things happen. So it's just. I don't know the extent of like, you know, how real it was, but it certainly felt, you know, very felt, real. Look, even if it's a placebo effect, it felt yeah. real enough to get him out of bed and him say, you know what? Now I have the balls to do something that I never had the balls to do because I might not be here. And, and then even after that, he has a story that always like gets me fired up where he said he went to meet this lady um, <laughs> who was sewing it together and they met at a Starbucks. And so he's like, he grabbed the, you know, the very first slingshot that she had sewn together. It was like a pair of knee sleeves or knee, uh, knee wraps, I guess. I think you saw it's in my house. It's the red slingshot. When you yeah. walk inside my house. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he took that and he was at Starbucks and he said, hold on a minute. I'll be right back. And he walked in. There was a gym, like a, you know, a commercial gym right next door. He's like, I walked in, didn't even check into the front desk because I didn't know the people. So I just walked right past and made believe I could belong there. He said, I laid out down on the bench. I did 135, 225, and then I put the slingshot on and did 315. And he said it, was, it felt like it was moving 225. And he said he got off the bench, and I don't know if you cried or if you just got, like, chills or something. Yeah, I was covered head to toe with, like, goosebumps. I was yeah. like, this is it. This he, is what I knew wanted. It. Like, at the moment that he, he was able to, like, throw around 315 like it was a toy, he's like, this thing's going to change the world. And I think when you do something like that and you, and you sort of know it, um, it's a big, you know, it's a big, great feeling to have of achievement, you know, before the achievement even happened. Yeah, guys, you know, I think it's one of the interesting things that I noticed when I visited Super Training Gym for a day. And then Chris, when we had you on for episode nine earlier in our, in our early days of the podcast, uh, you shared a story that came up when I was visiting the gym as well that uh, I think resonated with me. Because if you look at both of you guys and kind of the success you've had, in like documentaries as well as the gym and the slingshot it'd be easy to kind of say okay here's a here's a couple of elite dudes in a variety of different aspects of life uh and for like the average person maybe get overwhelmed by that but um you shared a story about how like you had a, a program where you were getting people out just to go and start essentially from square one and maybe that go first goal would be like i'm we're gonna walk around the block today and just do one yeah. walk around the block and one of the reasons I found that really interesting is because it seems like people oftentimes they can get stuck at zero and they have a hard time moving from zero. But then when they have someone give them a chance to get to step one, they now have something, a foundation to kind of build off of. So when you kind of combine that with, um, 
the the amount of like knowledge that you guys have uh and then that active support of someone who can relate all the way down to square one i think that's a really unique dynamic that you're not often going to get um so how much do you guys think like just your experiences in life where it wasn't necessarily a linear trajectory up it kind of keeps you open-minded and appreciative of folks who are kind of at that point too where you know maybe they have to start with one walk around one one block around before they get really into what they want to be at just say like things never really came that easy for us you know um i you know i was kind of strong when i was younger but like when i first started you know i i couldn't do anything either you know and mark couldn't do anything either and i remember um even like as we were coming up and i was getting really strong i still remember thinking in my head mark will never squat 405 there's no way he's just like he was lanky he was taller than i was since he was 14 right so he was you know quite a bit taller than me and i'm like man he's just so lanky and awkward like he'll never squat 405 he squatted 1080 yeah you know so uh <laughs> it's baby steps you know it's it's consistency it's uh plugging away at it and it's it's you know what we did with um my mom was really amazing was my mom really didn't want to go on a ketogenic diet she didn't want to go on any diet and we baby stepped her into it and i had her i had all these companies that you know that sponsor your podcast and sponsor other of these podcasts, right? That make all these uh, different keto snacks and things that are kind of fun. Like, hey, cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, mom, try this, try this. Because I know that they would taste good, right? So we would like baby step her into it. And then when she found out like, oh, I can eat sort of this way, but, you know, but these aren't maybe the best foods to eat. They're, what else? What's better? You know, so she's, we, I think by like enticing people, you know, getting people involved, like just getting their feet wet with something, it entices them to want to learn more. And I think like Mark has always been like this, where like we kind of leave things open so that there is more to learn. There is more to do. A lot of times when we're in his gym, he'll give somebody a workout and he'll say, that's it. We're done for the day. And they're like, come on, man, I want to do more. And he's like, nope. But that makes him come back the next day. Excited for the next round. If he kills them, they're not going to come back, you know, the next day. I think it's a good idea to be, uh, you know, open to everything, but kind of attached to nothing. So when I kind of think about how that plays out, then I start to kind of think about like, you know, what are just some really easy ways to get people to exercise? So some people enjoy running. Like I, I don't, I don't particularly enjoy running. Like, like you, like enjoy, you enjoy running, right? <laughs> some people like to lift weights. Now we can both say like, yeah, you should probably be lifting weights more and I should probably be running more. However, that's a good conversation for you and I to have but that's not a good conversation for somebody in the beginning to have, because it could be too discouraging. Like just let people do the shit that they want to do. And you want to try to mention things that hopefully something will hit with them. And so that's why you start out with something like a walk, because if you're going to be able to make any progress, then you're going to have to form some type of discipline. And so, you know, if you can't, if you can't go outside and do a few walks every day, uh, then, it's going to be really hard to make progress anywhere else in your nutrition or anything, because uh, that's going to have to have some form of uh, discipline attached to it as well. And so I, I like to try to just think of exercise it doesn't have to be complicated. You know, you don't have to drive a half an hour to the gym and, and have a change of clothes and drive a half an hour back and spend two hours in the gym. You can simply just start out by walking the uh, Uber driver that took me here today, he had a 10 pound weight in his, uh, I took a picture with him. Uh, he had a 10 pound uh, dumbbell on the front. And he said, every time he drops people off, he gets out and he bangs out like 30 push-ups, and he does that throughout the day. So I think 
really easy advice for somebody that just wants to get rolling is to just try to move, like pick some kind of movement, just every hour on the hour that you're awake. Just, you know, just, just try, just try your best. You're up for, you know, X amount of hours and you're at work and things like that. Just try to pop up here and there, go on a 10 minute walk, maybe do a couple squats, just, just, just something, just try to keep moving. A lot of people start out like all in, you know, they start out too and they make it too hard and then they quit. So we try to discourage that. We try to, you know, walk people into it. Yeah. There's a, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys are familiar with a guy named Jocko Wilnick who, who talks about discipline and there's a, for for you guys that are not aware, there's a, there's a really neat video that this guy named Admiral uh, McRaven, if you guys are watching about making your bed. You know, yeah. it's just oh, yeah, a discipline, yeah, yeah. and that is—I I watched that, and I was just like, you know, you're talking about making your bed, but then you listen to it; it's so powerful uh, and that it talks about just getting this mindset. And I, you know, I, and I would do like get up, take a damn cold shower, just not because I think it was magical, but just because it required some degree of dis- discipline, some degree of mental fortitude to, to stand in there, water, and you know, not be com- not be comfortable for a few minutes. Hey, Mark, you talk about. Uh, you, you know, you often say that strength is never a weakness. And obviously, it's very easy to say, yeah, you know, it's good to have muscles and be strong. But I think there's a lot more behind that message, mm-hmm. you know, at least from when I listen to it, you know, and, and I, I think it encompasses more things than just how much you can bench. But I think there's much more. Do you do you feel that way, too? Is that does that mean more to you than just how strong are you on, on the powerlifting platform? Yeah, it's, a, it's about a mindset. You know, it's about, you know, trying to and, and you just mentioned something that, that I I'm guilty of saying sometimes too, you said you don't find anything that magical about it. And I think that you're saying that uh, maybe because you're worried about the splashback from people, but I'll tell you what, there are magical things about a carnivore diet. There are magical things about a ketogenic diet. There's magical things about waking up early. There's magical things about not cutting corners. There's magical things about being disciplined in your life. And when you start to formulate days that are an eight out of 10, a nine out of 10, a 10 out of 10, that's when you really start to see the magic actually happen. And you start to see all these things come together. These people that are continually giving this message of calories in, calories out, there, there may be some truth to, uh, we can't just be gluttonous and uh, overconsume you know, large amounts of food all day long. There might be some truth to some of that. But I hate the message because the problem is, is that <clears throat> The, the pr- problem is that everybody kind of already knows some of these things are, are problematic. And the, the main issue that I have with that, that kind of uh, thought process is that's not adding anything to anybody's life by saying, Hey, you need to have a balanced diet or you need to worry about your calories. And, and there are some people that count and track their calories and they're successful at it. So if, if you're somebody listening and you do that, then go by all means, continue to do that. That's fine. If you, if you've made progress that way, but I think, a lot of people get confused by this message. And I think that people need to get used to the foods that can actually be good for us, the foods that actually can nourish our bodies and start to worry about nourishment and performance. Start there. Start to worry about nourishing your body. Maybe even overfeed yourself for a while. If you're already fat, let's say you're already 60 pounds overweight, why not overeat for a month on on healthier food options? I bet you that you'll probably lose a little bit of water weight. I bet you'll probably lose some inflammation. I bet you'll just kind of feel better mentally. You'll have some mental health benefits of all this. And then as you go along, you can start to say, hmm, okay, maybe I cut back a little bit on the amount of bacon that I'm eating, or maybe I cut back a little bit on the amount of cheese I'm eating. And you start to kind of nitpick your diet from that point on. But 
I just, uh, I think that there are magical components to a lot of these things. And when people can find their rhythm with being more disciplined when they were in the past, I think they'll find the magic. Yeah. You know, we, we talked to, I think it was when we had, uh, Dr. Ken Barry on, we were talking about some of that stuff, like, you know, people putting like tons of cream and stuff in their coffee or eating like keto snack type stuff and how like maybe some of that isn't necessarily going to get them to lose the weight they want to eventually, but they can be great tools, especially on the onset to, to when you, when you're putting yourself into a new routine, a new system, that's a lot of change that can do stress that can be kind of tough to wrap your head around. So kind of bridging that gap between a massive overhaul, maybe at the expense of your weight loss goal or your strength gain goal for the first four weeks can be useful just to kind of get that thing, that stuff in place. And then once you get the routine in place and get used to that lifestyle, then maybe take the butter out of the coffee and yeah. then lose a couple pounds you know, or something. When like I, that. And I did that. When I started, Bulletproof Coffee was like a staple of mine. You can go back through my Instagram and see I was drinking Bulletproof Coffee all the time. But what I, what I did is I was able to use that to be able to fast. I mean, I wasn't technically fasting, I know that, but um, I would have like a bulletproof coffee, you know, maybe in the morning, and then I wouldn't eat till maybe five o'clock at night, and it allowed me to have these long periods of where I wasn't eating, and then I got used to like pull the, you know, like you said, pull the butter out of the coffee, and next thing you know, like I'm dropping weight like crazy because I had been able to teach my body to fast just because I was used to like not, chewing on something every couple hours, you know? So mm -hmm. I think if we utilize things as tools and then like a keto snack, for example, like what do you do if you go to the movies, right? Like, well, keto snack might be a good idea, right? But don't do that all the time because it's going to become a crutch and it's going to become something that, you know, you get used to. I, I keep telling Sean this, the more I keep going towards red meat and water and that's it, the better the results I get. And so I just always keep that in mind. Just like I always pull it back to that, you know, for me, for my diet, um, I know that the closer I get to what the diet actually is, the better the results it yields. And there's really no denying that there's, there, I mean, there is nothing more I can say than like, every time I do that, I get leaner and I get stronger. So I just, I know that that's the way, but it's sometimes it's hard to sustain that all the time. So uh, something will sneak in here and there. And I, I think that that's okay because for the most part, 90% of the time, I am eating the right thing at the right time. You know? There's so many uh, complex layers to all this, and that's why I get frustrated about the calories in, calories out. I don't, I don't want to dismiss uh, that there could be, there can be some science behind these things, but a huge problem is how how good uh, processed foods taste. And so, like th these are the things that we need to. That's our war. You know, I always say the war on carbs, and that that's my fight. I, I want to fight against that stuff. I want to fight against processed foods because we're going to overconsume those things. And yeah, they can be entertaining. It'd be fun to have stuff here and there. Um, and they could have a, a time and a place, but they're making a lot of people sick. They're causing a lot of disease. If you were to simply just cut back on and get rid of processed foods, uh, desserts and fried foods and maybe sugary drinks. Uh, I don't think anyone would have to even be on a diet. Now for a word from our sponsors. This episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast is brought to you by Unamate by a brand named Unicity. This sponsor is unique. It has a personal story behind it. In 2015, I started using the tea Yerba Mate. I liked it for its 
calm sense of alertness that it provided versus kind of the more jittery alertness that you could get from uh, more traditional caffeine sources. I even used it in 2015 at the end of the year in route to breaking the 100 mile American record at the Desert Solstice Track Invitational. The only hiccup that I have had with using yerba mate in training and racing has kind of been a logistical hiccup. It I usually had to either kind of pre-make the yerba mate as like a hot tea or buy it in a can, which a lot of times the cans you would find had been sweetened with sugar and other things. Uh, So I was always kind of on the lookout of trying to maybe make that process a little more efficient. So after interviewing Dr. Ben Bickman for episode 13 of HPO, he had discovered that I was a fan of yerba mate in training and races and uh, he's actually been studying some of the effects of yerba mate and connected me with a product called Unimate, which makes kind of an instant single serving package of the tea. With, with these single serving packs, I, I can easily kind of prepare on the fly, even during a race or during a training run, without having to go through all the kind of logistic steps of preparing the tea ahead of time or bringing a can full of something along with me. And I actually even used it at the Tunnel Hill 100 mile this last fall where I ran the the fastest recorded 100 mile or on a trail as well as the fastest 100 mile or outright during the year for 2018. Um, So needless to say, I'm behind the product. If you'd like to try it out, please head over to unicity.com forward slash HPO. That's U-N-I-C-I-T-Y dot com forward slash H-P-O to get $3 off a 7-pack or $10 off a 30-pack of Unimate. Thanks again. Now, back to the show. Yeah, Mark, I think I agree 100% with that stuff. And, I, and, I, and I, you know, Chris, we talked about that on, on you and, and William's podcast the other day. But when, when we talk about this carnivore diet, and, you know, I know it's, it's very controversial, but I, I, I really consider it more of a mindset than anything else. And that it's, you know, this is a, you know, a kind of a plan and, you know, when I see Mark's, you know, and I appreciate Mark supporting it and doing it, but when he shows a picture of meat and potatoes, I'm like, good for you, Mark. I mean, that's, you're still, the, the spirit and the intent is still there. You know that you're eating nutritious food and you know, you're, you're doing things to make it palatable to you and sustainable. And if you feel you need, something to, 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 yeah. to, to spice it up, something to maybe even need some carbohydrate here and there. I, I'm, I'm not opposed to that at all. And I, and I, and I try to tell people that, you know, it, it's about figuring out what works. And some people, and, and myself included, I mean, when I'm eating nothing but steaks, I feel pretty damn good. Yeah. And I mean, I'm strong and, 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 and nothing hurts. And I think that particularly as an old guy that you, you come to appreciate that more. I know Mark, you're in your early forties and Chris is a little old one. And you, you realize that those things add up over the years and the stuff you could get away with in your twenties, yeah. you know, you can't do it now in your forties and, and certainly not in your fifties and sixties. And so you gotta, you gotta kind of start to, you know, make the necessary changes there. And my, my problem is I have like an addictive personality in the first place. So when I eat carbs, like the carbs aren't the problem really, but when I eat carbs, I'll go crazy. So like if I even have some blueberries or like, those are the things that creep in, I don't eat a couple of blueberries. I'll eat the whole thing, but I'll eat like, I'll buy like blueberries, blackberries and raspberries. And I'll eat three of them, you know, like the whole thing. And there's three, three of them. That's a lot of fruit to take in, right? That's a lot of carbohydrates. So I know myself, I don't have a lot of control. So I just draw a line in the sand and I get rid of it a lot of times. And then every once in a while, if something does slip in, 
I know to limit myself, I buy a smaller amount, you know, but when I've, when I've done stuff where I've done like carnivore and had a sweet potato and stuff like that, I, you know, I've been okay. I've been pretty strong, but like you said, I, I definitely feel better just personally when I'm just red meat and water. This, this stuff takes a really long time and the people that are listening to the show right now, you know, if, if they, you know, went to some sushi and had some rice, uh, if they uh, had some ice cream last night, like if they're, if they're messing up occasionally, like just remember you're, you're one meal out of a, of a diet and you're one meal away from being back in. So yeah. don't beat yourself up too much. These, these conclusions and these things have taken my brother and I like over 20 years. I've been lifting since I was 12 and I'm 42 now. So been lifting for a long time. He's been lifting for a long time. And I would say that my progression from being my heaviest, being 330 pounds down to what I am now is nearly a decade's worth of work. Not that it took me 10 years to lose 100 pounds, um, but it took me 10 years to know exactly what the hell I was doing and to start to learn, you know, when do I put a potato back in? When do I put some rice back in? You know, when is it okay to have some fruit? And actually, a reason why, I'll do think, why I do things like that is to add in potassium a lot of times. I know there could be potassium and steak and stuff like that too. And it's also just a whole, like I'm intentionally trying to be inflamed. I'm intentionally trying to hold a little bit more water. I've even, uh, I didn't post on Instagram, but I don't want people going crazy, but I even had a couple bagels before a training session. And those are, these are things that have served me really well for a really long time. And who knows, like maybe some of the uh, negative effects of, of some, of some of these highly processed foods, Maybe it's not all bad all the time. Maybe there's certain conditions and certain reasons why uh, maybe it makes you hold on to a little bit more glycogen or maybe it makes you hold a little bit more water in your muscle cells or even for powerlifting. Maybe it just makes you a little bit more puffy and bloated, which is actually great for powerlifting. Yeah. I mean, that, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, I just had a uh, interesting, you know, there's two of the top protein, protein researchers in the world. A guy named Don Lehman and another guy, Professor Stuart Phillips, you know, they basically came out and said to build muscle, you know, to actually, for muscle protein synthesis, carbohydrates are clearly, they are not required. We know the biology, it's the biochemistry, it's not required. However, when it comes to performance, then, you know, you may have a benefit there. And I think that's where, I think a lot of this stuff comes in. You can train a little harder, you can train a little longer, you've got that glycogen. Um, you know, the, the question I have, and, and I think it's an unanswered question, you know, it's because, you know, we've often looked at, you know, the ketogenic diet has been studied, you know, athletically, uh, you know, for, for, for quite a while now, you know, they've been looking at it and they always see that it doesn't quite, you know, at least in the short term, allow for as much glycolytic activity, strength, power output, whatever it's been tested over and over again. There's maybe some exceptions where if they looked at longer studies and they gave the athletes a little more time to ad adapt and Zach was part of one of those studies. But then the question becomes, you know, when I look at it, you know, the carnivore, carnivore diet is a little bit different because, you know, you've got such a huge amount of protein, which I think, you know, I mean, just using my own physiology, I mean, I have more glucose than probably most guys sitting around and that glucose goes somewhere. It can, it can convert to glycogen. And so yeah. I mean, that's why I can train my ass off day in and day out and recover fine. And so I think, I think this is still another part of the equation. And I would just say, I don't know. And I don't think we know yet. Uh, you know, I think there is, uh, you know, still more, more to come on this stuff. So I think it'll be interesting to see how things. I, I agree. I agree a lot with what you're saying. And I, I don't know what the numbers show and Zach probably knows a, a lot about this, but uh, your glycogen stores aren't even going to be, aren't even going to be that high when you take in 
massive amounts of uh, carbohydrates versus doing what you're doing. I, I think that that's correct, right? Like you're, it's not going to be, store, yeah. it's not going to be so swayed, right? Anyway. Well, I mean, you, you never really, you never can really truly totally deplete your glycogen and, and you know, you're going to use what you need. And so, I mean, it becomes, you know, it comes a question of what do you need? What are you doing? What do you use it for? And what are you chronically adapting to? Yeah, it's I really like a, think it's, you're right. We need to we need to study this carnivore diet for performance. It's a huge thing that like no one's really looked at. So you know we don't know how effective it could be because I know I'm definitely stronger, but I don't know if I'm stronger with carbs or without because I haven't tested against myself. Well, but I, I mean, know that you know my strength has gone up dramatically in the past couple months. You know, so I'd love to see. The, there's the so many. Done. There's so many factors too. I think Dr. Baker, if you were to add in carbohydrates he would probably just add body body weight he'd probably just weigh more and therefore like you might actually lift more so from like a performance basis it would be kind of hard to tell but maybe you're faster or maybe you could row better uh without the carbohydrates so it's kind of hard to really measure i'm, I'm sure yeah i think it's, it's still controversial but i mean there is some pretty clear data that shows that, that in many cases carbohydrates do have a benefit i don't want to say that i'm you know I think they're evil or bad. I, I think yeah. that's a misconception that on my part, I, I, you know, I say you got to figure out what things do to your body and, and, and be honest about it. And, you know, as you, as we do know that some people, when you get, you know, you, you can look at those pictures, you, when you're 330 pounds and you look like job of the hut, I mean, I'm not, to, not to be insulting, but I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a flattering look. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I had that too. I was 300 pounds. It was all puffy and, you know, I was stronger Sure. I mean, you know, but I had 70 pounds more or 60 pounds more body mass. I mean, of course, you're going to be stronger. Another thing that plays into this a lot, too, is just like your mood and then how much food you can eat. So, like, for me, you know, when I had uh, some rice the other day or when I had some potatoes with, uh, with my steak, it allowed me just to eat more. Yeah. You know, I do enjoy steak and I, I love eating like a two or three pound uh, thing of steak. I enjoy the hell out of that. But I'll actually eat a little bit more when there's a little bit of carbohydrates there, a little bit of rice or a little bit. So... For me, I'm like, even from a mental perspective, I'm like, all right, I'm loading up and tomorrow, you know, I'm going to hit a big bench and I'm trying to chase down a uh, 500 pound bench at 220. And so uh, I kind of, uh, it's really weird because I'll weigh as much as like 246 pounds when I go in the gym and lift. And then a few days later when I'm doing fasting and doing the carnivore diet, I'll be back uh, around 10 pounds less. So making that 220 weight class is going to be hard. Yeah, I was going to say that's, that's going to be a little, a little bit of a trip to get down to 220. But, I mean, that's, that's a huge bench for 220 for sure. Gosh, man. You know, I, I've also noticed that if I, di if I do have a little bit of carbohydrate, like some fruit or something, before I work out, it seems to give me – it seems to actually give me an added benefit in the fact that uh, – I just have a little bit more energy, a little bit more, like I, I feel like almost like a sugar high. And mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm curious if uh, the carnivore, like if you're on a carnivore diet or a keto diet, how like carbohydrate supplementation, like right before, you know, like shortly before you train would actually be a benefit because you're depriving your body of carbs and then putting it in, you know, it sort of gives you like a little bit of a boost. Super so maybe, yeah, maybe there is some sort of uh, super compensation that takes place. Like, that would be beneficial to athletes, but we've never really studied it, you know? Yeah, I mean, Zach, I mean, Zach essentially does sort of the same thing with his races. I mean, you could probably mm -hmm. speak to that, Zach. Yeah, you know, the way I kind of look at it is it's kind of a usage sparing conversation. So, like, if I would go just all in on carbohydrates and hit, like, 70 plus percent, it's yeah. like, yeah, I would have higher glycogen stores and I would have more readily available carbohydrate, um, but I'm also going to use it at a much higher rate. So the, the question becomes, how much do you need and how much 
do you want to rely on that fuel source versus body fat or an exogenous fat source? Um, and you know, for, for me as an ultra endurance athlete, I'm doing a ton of stuff within the aerobic context and really the biggest hurdle for me to get over in terms of elimination of carbohydrates is the relatively short periods of time between sessions. Like when I'm in peak training, you know, I'm upwards to 20 hours a week of gym running sometimes twice a day, sometimes long runs are three, four, even five hours. So it's like the, the window of time between sessions when you've gotten to the point where you've essentially micro stressed enough to be able to do that type of a workload are very small. So that's where I think I see some advantage of some carbohydrate, but it still comes back to that, um, that, that the, the thought of like, well, how much do I actually need in the context? There's going to be greatly dependent on what you're eating. So, you know, if I'm eating very low amounts of carbohydrate, my body is going to get better at metabolizing fat at at certain intensities. Yeah, you're fat adapted, right? So mm-hmm. you're metabolically flexible, as they say, right? Right. Which seems like you can use, but if you're not metabolically flexible, flexible, then you can't really do that, right? If you don't have that flexibility, mm-hmm. if you're, you know, normally a sugar eater, you don't have that option, really, right? Right. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm very sympathetic to like the, I guess maybe argument or idea that like this whole like best of both worlds is maybe not clear in science. Sure. And you know, like. You know, my, I guess my response to that, at least from my own individual experience is, you know, I'm not doing this to prove a point. So like, like, like I don't benefit from, you know, being the high fat athletes and, you know, staying kind of between both camps by bringing in a little bit of carbohydrate. I benefit from hitting my workouts and then performing on race day. So like, to me, it's like, I'm looking at the workouts pretty intimately and looking at like, well, what happens when I do this? What happens when I do this? And, you know, regardless of what the science currently says, you know, I can look at my workouts and see improvements or being able to replicate the intensities in some of these workouts with way fewer carbohydrates than I did in the past. So like for me, that's the answer I'm looking for. I'm looking for repetition of the results within the context of my training. So in that, then I think that kind of flexibility argument becomes a little more clear in my mind in terms of kind of its. Can I ask the, you a uh, question? You yeah, broke, yeah, yeah. You just broke a record, right? Recently, there was a record. Yeah, was like what was that? A hundred mile. It was the the fastest recorded hundred mile times on a trail. It's amazing. Congratulations, first of all. Second of all, how many carbs did you eat for like that race, for example? Um, before I, that race. Yeah. So the way I usually set up like race week carb loading is I take more of a, you know, we've, we've, I've I've probably talked about this a few times, but like, I think we've really bastardized the way a carbo load actually works. You know, nowadays we see the scenario of people, they they regress on their training during their taper to kind of freshen up, but they don't change their diet at all. They just keep eating the way they were eating. And then they get, two, maybe three days out and they start kind of using this race or a marathon or whatever event as an excuse to quote unquote carbo load. So then they start piling down pastas, cereals, all this stuff. Um, and they're carbo loading in a way that you don't really need to carbo load. Like you're going to, if you're just eating a standard American diet, that's majority carbohydrate, just the regression in training is going to saturate your glycogen stores because you're going to be eating what you would have burnt off previously and you're going to load up just fine. You don't have to pile another plate of pasta on top of that. So 
to way I do it, I look at it a week out. And what I do is uh, when I'm like seven days out, I'll go super low carb because my training's low, my intensity's low at that point. I don't need a fast acting fuel source. So I'll do that for four or five days. And then as I get closer to the event itself, maybe like say 48 hours out, I'll start kind of bringing back some of the carbohydrates uh, to the degree that I would. What, during what kind of- form is that? What kind of carbohydrates do you bring in? Uh, for me, I usually kind of focus in on things like sweet potatoes, melons, berries, raw honey. That's just historically what's worked well for me. I'll do some, I, I've played around a little bit with like some fermented like breads and stuff like sourdough type stuff a little bit, but it, I wouldn't say it's a staple or anything at this point. Sure. Um, but those are the kind of ones I go to. But really when I'm working with someone who's following the same protocol, what I tell them to do is like pick three carbohydrates that you've really missed when we've been cutting them out. And you know, that here's your chance to use those. Like here's your chance to kind of like break that monotony if that's ever kind of a hurdle in your kind of approach. Um, and that's usually the best way to go. Um, I mean, there's a digestion component too, where like if you know something's going to give you a bad digestion, probably stay away from it versus something that feels good when you eat it. Um, but for me, that's usually like some form of tubers, melons, berries, some raw honey tend to be kind of tried and true versions. Um, so I, I kind of bring those back to the level that I would during kind of my peak training, which tends to be around 20, 30% of my intake. Uh, and then on race day, I just do like a slow trickle of carbohydrate during the race itself. And the reason for that being is the way I look at it is I've got this huge fuel tank of body fat, which even at my leanest, even the leanest endurance athletes on the planet have way more body fat than they do glycogen stores. So that's my unexhaustible fuel tank for the day. Then there's the glycogen stores. Um, that's my exhaustible fuel tank. So during the race itself, I want to limit digestion, uh, as much as I can. So I'm going to slow trickle the fuel tank that's exhaustible and rely on the onboard fuel tank that's unexhaustible, um, without eating. So that usually ends up being 20 to 40 grams of carbohydrate per hour in most cases, uh, which is about half of what I would have done in the past when I was following a high carbohydrate diet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, that's the way I kind of describe it is when I was high carb, it, you're getting that effect from the carbohydrate. If you get in enough, you get that energy at the pop, but you, you're kind of on a roller coaster. Yeah. Um, when you're, when I do the way I do it now, I'm way more even keel. Like I feel like I have the gears when I need them, but I also don't feel like I have these big ups and big downs throughout the course. Um, and I'm doing it on essentially half of the intake that I did in the past. So for me, that's like a double win. Yeah. Um, and then like after the race, it's kind of a reset, uh, usually like depending on the context, uh, if it's like the end of the season, you know, maybe I relax things for a day or two, but pretty much post race, I'm going zero carb for a while. That's actually when I've done my longest stretches of, of the pure carnivore approaches right after a race. Yeah. Cause for me, it's like the last thing I want is another, like, you know, sports drink or, you know, yeah, carbohydrate thing after that. So, so it's like that the fatty ribeye with some salt looks great at that point. Yeah, it looks that looks great to me all the time for some reason. I don't know what that is, but uh, <laughs> I, had, I had a nice ribeye right before I started. Hey, Mark, let me ask you because I just saw um, recently your oldest boy, I think Jake, has started training. I mean, how does that feel? I mean, are you is that I mean, I, I know when I train my little kids, it's it's the best feeling. Well, tell me a little bit about how that evolved because that's kind of a cool, I think, things coming yeah, up. Yeah, it's, it's it's been really it's been really awesome, uh, actually. Uh, yes, uh, yesterday, yeah, I picked him up from uh, weightlifting at the school. He um, expressed some interest in going out for football. He's never really played any sports. We had him play like baseball, and he tried some stuff when he was young. And um, 
he just wasn't that into it. So, you know, he told me one day I was taking him to baseball. He's like, I'm not really into baseball. I'm like, all right, well, when the season's over, we can stop. But, you know, you're on a team, so kind of owe it to your teammates and to your coach to just still show up because you agreed to do so. And we'll finish out the season. If you don't want to play, then you don't have to play. I just, I just don't really try to force them to do too much stuff. I mean, you got to force your kids to do some things. you got to force them to do their homework. And you have to uh, force them to eat properly and, and to exercise and to move around and play outside and things like that and stop being on their phone or whatever. Um, but I try not to be, you know, too forceful. And then, uh, you know, my wife was a division one swimmer and I have my powerlifting career. So I never want that to be uh, anything weird that the kids feel that they have to pursue or try or do or anything. So we never really put a lot of pressure on them that way, but Jake and I, and my dad, we go on walks pretty much every night and uh, we get back from like this 20 minute walk and my dad goes inside his house and Jake is kind of just, Jake uh, paces back and forth a lot. He likes to kind of walk around a lot and he's like, Hey dad, he's like, we've been doing, uh, you know, some lifting and PE at school. And I was like, Oh, cool. And I'm trying to like, trying to play it cool. Try not to ask any questions. I'm like, just, just shut up and just listen to him, you know? And so he's like, uh, He's like, I, I, I really like it, you know? And I was like, and, I, you know, in my head, the Rocky music is playing and it goes in a whole <laughs> montage of me training him like he's, uh, like he's Rocky Balboa or something, right? Mm -hmm. But I was like, oh, that's cool. I was like, well, maybe like if I'm around this weekend, I'll take you to super training and uh, I can show you some stuff. And he was like, all right, sounds good. And we just kind of left it at that. And then, you know, that week uh, he didn't, you know, I woke him up on Saturday morning. He didn't want to go. But. Mm -hmm. I, I knew that he kind of wanted to go. So I dragged him along with me and he worked out and then the same thing happened the next week. And then the next week he asked me. And so now he's been, he's been going for about a month now. He's got those kind of newbie gains where he just keeps getting stronger and stronger. And I think he could probably bench around uh, 150 pounds. He's uh, going to be 15 at the end of this uh, month. So uh, he's already uh, acquired, you know, acquiring a little bit of strength and he's having fun with it. That's the main thing. Mark, let me ask you about, because I mean, I'm sure as time has gone by, you know, and, and you've grown in popularity and, I, and just in my own experiences, I've gotten a few more people that kind of know who I am. You get a lot of requests and you get a lot of demands on your, your energy and your time. How do you, do you have a, is there some sort of uh, algorithm that you use to decide mm -hmm. what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do, who I'm going to listen to? How does that work for you? How do you manage all this? Because I'm, I'm sure you've got stuff hitting you up every five seconds. I can't imagine you don't. Yeah. I just have to tell a lot of people to go fuck themselves here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you know, I just, I try to do the best I can and, and try to attend to uh, as many different people as I can. But the truth of it is, is that, you know, I have to say no to a lot of stuff. Um, especially when it comes to like business stuff, because I, I do stuff alone and uh, I don't have any business partners or anything like that, except for my wife. And so, uh, yeah, I have to say no to a lot of stuff and, and pass up some, uh, some opportunities here and there. Um, I have a really good team around me, though, and my wife is, is really uh, good at kind of, you know, telling me what she feels is, is worthwhile and stuff. And that's why I try to have her, you know, come to the gym and, and meet uh, all the different people that we have, meet the different guests and kind of understand, you know, who this Zach Bitter guy is and who this Sean Baker guy is and, you know, I talk, I talk at home about you guys a lot and I talk to the kids about it because I like to be uh, inclusive. And then, you know, um, 
it helps build the relationships and it helps, it helps for things to make more sense. You know, Zach was really kind to uh, give shoes to our entire staff. I really appreciate that from uh, the company that you're with. So thank you. Altra. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And it's uh, you know, it's things like that. Like when things feel right and things click and they go together really well, uh, having Dr. Baker, his experience has been the same way. He's been over the house. He uh, chucked down a ribeye in 30 seconds at the house. And uh, <laughs> it's been fun having him come back and forth to super training gym a bunch of times. So yeah, like uh, I just, you know, if it, if it ends up, you know, turning into like a friendship, that's, that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the goal. And um, you know, you, you guys know this as well as like, you can kind of see whether it's going to turn into, you know, something more or if it's just uh uh, you know, is it just an opportunity for somebody else or are you both mutually getting something from it? Chris, let me ask you about filmmaking because I mean, I mean, you, you are an award-winning filmmaker. I mean, your, your documentaries have been awesome. I, I saw your most recent one, Leap of Faith. I, I was, you know, you, you invited me out to the, to the screen, yeah, you know, right. screening, which I loved. I thought it was just a wonderful film and it was something I, you know, I didn't really even know much about it and it really wasn't something I had a, a great deal of interest, you know, but it, but it's interesting. But but I just thought the film itself, the way you did it, was so you know well done. And and more than anything, you are just a very accessible person. I think you know, just listening to you narrate. I mean, it's like every man can identify. Every person can really identify for whatever reason. You just come off as super likable, and I think that's that's a great thing. But 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 it translates in real life. That's who you really are. But talk a little bit about the new movie you know, what's sure. going on in the background. I know, I know you said it, it, it's changing day to day. You started in one way and, and all your films kind of just change as, as it goes on. But talk a little bit about that and how you and Mark and other people are, are trying to, trying to it's change. It's crazy. It's like every movie I do, and I'm at this point with this movie, every movie I do, I, I literally get to a point where I'm like, I don't even want to do this anymore. I quit. I'm done. I can't think about it anymore. I get, I get so invested in it, like in my head that I, I don't even know what to say after a while. I'm like, you know, so, I think that it's it's kind of funny and ironic. Everybody's always, you know, complimenting me on my filmmaking. I'm like, you guys don't understand. I'm stressed out and going crazy all the time thinking about, you know, how to make this work. And what, always, what it always comes back to is um, just being as honest as I can, you know. And what I've realized in this nutrition space, uh, you know, we've gotten asked to speak at a lot of these different conferences and different things. And I, I actually turn it down because um, – I feel like I'm not an expert, you know, I feel like, and what I realize is um, what I am is a guy with a lot of questions, very curious, like I don't have any answers for you, but I have a whole lot of questions I can ask Dr. Baker or ask Zach, who's the, you know, a world record holder in, in his uh, division. You know, it's, it's like, I have access to a lot of great people. And what I've realized, you know, over the years is, um, ask all these awesome people all the right questions and it will lead you to uh, your audience coming up with answers for themselves, which I think is much more empowering than, uh, you know, there is a woman in my latest film, a leaf of faith who says that her son committed suicide because of Kratom. There's a person in my doc. There's a man in my documentary, Donald Putin, who says the son committed suicide because of steroids. They're virtually, you know, like the same story. And the reason why those people are in there is because they're very important, right? They lost somebody that they loved and they think that it was done by this thing. And I just let them speak. You know, I'm not there to tell them, no, this didn't happen because of this. 
but my audience will say, Hey, I saw that movie and that guy's full of shit. Right. Like <laughs> I saw, you know, and, and that's what, like, yeah, that's what I was getting at, but I didn't, I don't have to say that. Like, I don't have to say a lot of things and people will take, take those away. So, you know, in doing a movie about nutrition, one of the almost paralyzing things is like, there's so many voices, you know, and there's so many people talking that like, all I can really do at the end of the day is tell my own truth of what I did, what worked for me, and let the experts speak on what they think, whether I trust them, like, whether I believe in what they're saying or not, by letting them have a voice and letting them have, you know, for example, we interviewed Dr. Baker, but we also interviewed Lane Norton. We know they don't always see eye to eye on everything. So let Lane speak, let Lane say what he wants to say. Uh, he's a PhD, he's very intelligent, and he's got a lot of great points. Let Dr. Baker speak. He's a doctor, he can tell you, you know, a lot of other things that, that maybe uh, Lane didn't ever experience, right? So by letting everybody lay out their argument and then letting the audience kind of decide, you know, obviously there's a little bit of pushing towards things that I think are, you know, my truths or things that I think are more important. Um, but at the end of the day, it's really about finding a great crop of characters and uh, putting them all together into a, um, into a format that, you know, people can easily digest. And so a lot of this stuff, um, I think my biggest problem uh, for me with filmmaking is I get into my own head too much and I get in the weeds of my own head, if that makes sense. And so pulling it back to make it very simple and accessible to a large audience is like always my biggest challenge. How do you guys deal with, you know, the haters? Cause I mean, I know you got them. I mean, I got them, you got them. I'm sure I see, you know, I see people, you know, hit, you know, complaining about this or that, or, you know, they don't like this or you're, you know, bro science, this, you know, this and that, yeah. and, you know, you know, talking about all kinds of different, what do you, how do you guys deal with that stuff? With love, you know, it's like, it's, you know, some people will get you mad or whatever, but, uh, most of the time, I, a lot of times I use Mark's line. I say, thanks for the ammo because that stuff's just like bullets in the chamber. You know, it's like somebody says like, Hey man, you're doing it wrong. Or, Hey, you know, this is bullshit. Like, it's great. Thank you. Cause I'll just go to the gym and I'll get stronger, you know? And Mark has this saying that I really love. Um, he says that, uh, tell everybody I so I told you so without saying a word, you know? And I always think of that in my head too, is like, I don't need to tell them anything. I just need to get better, you know? And, and I like that philosophy, but how do you deal with them? Yeah, it's hard. You know, there's, there's a lot of them. Um, I think the thing that actually bugs me and it shouldn't is uh, just when they're really misinformed, you know, and they, they make a comment and there's really nothing behind the comment. And it was just, they're just slaying what you said for no particular reason. And it's probably just because they're grumpy and they had a shitty day or who knows what the problem is. Um, but I mean, I recently made a post about like the, the slingshot and kind of how it helps and, I'm just, I'm really just, I'm so tired of people talking about science and research all the time. Science and research doesn't really tell us a whole lot more than it's told us in the past. I know some people might think some of these things are crazy, but it usually tells us a lot of things that we already know. And when it comes to, when it comes to strength training, what people are failing to understand is a lot of these things have been studied. It's just the slingshot in particular hasn't been studied, but devices like a slingshot, like bands and chains, do something similar. The weights are lighter at the bottom and they're heavier at the top. Um, the slingshot helps improve your form. 
by, by helping improve your form. You guys know this really well, really well, and Zach knows this really well. Look, if you run with bad form, good luck recovering from it. So if you have a device that's going to help you with your form, then you're going to recover from your workouts faster. You can add more volume. You can add, and I've done other things like that too, talking about like weight releasers and bands and chains and different things. And people get all blown out of, they get it all blown out of proportion. You could just use the regular weight, man, and you can get strong that way. And I'm, I'm like, I know, I'm aware of that. And they might say, Bill Kazmaier and Ed Cohn, they never used those things. Well, you know, I, what if they did use those things? Would they have been better? You know, what if Ed Cohn, you guys had him on the podcast recently, uh, what if Ed Cohn knew more about nutrition earlier in his career? Maybe he would have never got hurt. Maybe he would have squatted 1,100 pounds. Maybe he would have been the first guy to deadlift 1,000 pounds. Like, we don't know where that upper limit is just because a mutant did something a certain way. It uh, doesn't mean that there's not a lot of other good methods out there. So the haters, sometimes it can be really hard because some of the things they throw out there uh, get you frustrated. And then there you are firing back with this answer and you look something up on Google or you look something up in a book and you're just like, man, I've lo really lost my mind. I've lost my touch here. I shouldn't uh, be getting dragged down by this, but it happens, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh... – it's an interesting point because certainly, I mean, there's people out there who will say, well, you know, we got we to look at everything through a scientific lens and we got to understand how, it's, how things happen and what the mechanism is. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all looking for results. And, I mean, you know, the fact that you squatted 1,080 pounds, you can just say, you know, money talks and suckers walk, man. I mean, you did it. And so, I mean, I don't care how you did it. You got it done. So whatever you did worked pretty damn well until, you know, you somebody shows me that you got a bunch of guys squatting 1,500 pounds doing it another way. I mean, that's about as good as it gets. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's I'd have, yeah, I have to say the biggest mistake I've ever made was waiting on science. The biggest mistake I've ever made. I did a carnivore diet. You know, this back in 1994, 1995 with a guy named Ron Fedko. And I, when everybody was telling me you're crazy, why are you just eating meat? This is so stupid. You're going to die. I believed everybody. And I went through so much shit in between 1994 and today. And I think a lot of it could have been alleviated if I would have stayed on that diet. You know, a lot of my pain, you know, who knows? Like I had double hip replacement surgery. Who's to say that I would still have needed that? You know, like I wasn't in that much pain back then. I was really, you know, I was young. I was 23 years old. So, um, you know, waiting around for science, like Charles Poliquin said, it, you know, late Charles Poliquin, he said that um, he was teaching uh, cluster training to athletes in like 1968 and then like, a study came out in 1984 about it, and then it became all the rage. And he's like, we've been doing this forever. You guys just waited around for the science. You're the, you're the dumb ones. You know, you're behind the times. Um, so I think, you know, sometimes you just have to take a chance on something. If something's working for you, like, don't wait around for the science. You know, just if it's working and you feel good, then, I, you know, I would stick to it. Because I think that was my biggest problem was listening to, every, listen to all the other voices telling me, don't do this. You're not, you know. There's no science behind this. And even now, there really isn't a whole lot of science behind a carnivore diet, but I'm not waiting around anymore. <laughs> I made that mistake once. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, good, yeah, I mean the science could take, if it ever gets done, it'll take you know, a decade or more. So, I mean, you know, you've got a lot of people that hopefully will be helped by it you know, to some yeah. degree before that. We had uh, earlier today, Zach and I, we talked to a gal, named, I think you know her, her name's Dr. Uh, Gabrielle Lyon. I think she's been oh, on yeah. the podcast, Mark. I think yeah. you guys had her on the podcast, if I'm not Yeah, and so one of the things that she said, and, you know, it kind of made me laugh because she, you know, she basically is like a, a drill sergeant with her patients. She says either, you know, get with the program, get the hell out, you know, type yeah. of thing. And it's kind of funny. 
you know, as a physician, you're like, man, I'd love to do that with some, some of the people I had to deal with. You just say, you know, get the fuck out. We don't, you know, <laughs> you know I mean, you know, try to be nice and stuff. But I mean, at the same time, you're like, man, if you're not going to do anything, we're not going to help you. But she brought up the point that she doesn't care about people's strengths. She want to know, she wants to know where their weakness is. And, you know, attacks that. And, and, and does that make sense to you guys? Do you, do you, do you uh, subscribe to that philosophy? Do you think it's important? I mean, as an athlete, Mark, as a power lifter, I mean, how do you, how do you get somebody to be a better athlete? I mean, I know you, you're working with NFL uh, combine guys uh, re- recently. So where, where do you go? I mean, what is your overall philosophy on how do I get you better at your job? You know, if your job's an athlete or, or whatever it may be. Deion Sanders, in my opinion, is one of the greatest football players to ever play the game. Um, Deion Sanders doubled and tripled down on the things that he was good at. And he, you know, towards the end of his career, he got like a little bit better at tackling, but he didn't like to get rough. He didn't like to get dirty. Uh, You know, he liked to cover people like a blanket and he liked to pick the ball off and take it the other way for a touchdown and use his talent to his max. So I actually think that in some ways, this idea of bringing up your weakness, uh, it sounds like a sexy idea, but the saying at super training gym is if we were working on our weaknesses, we would be at the library. (laughs) So, uh, I think that, uh, you know, doubling, like I have literally made my money on the bench press and, uh, with an 854 pound, uh, shirted bench pressing competition and a 578 pound, uh, raw bench done in competition as well. Um, that is what I have doubled down on. I've also, you know, gotten strong in squat and strong in deadlift and stuff, but that's where, that's what people knew me from. So I think you would have to specifically uh, be uh, a question that you would ask, uh, what is it for? You know, like um, if you were a particular athlete and your sleep was a mess or your, uh, uh, your diet was a mess, then maybe that weakness, maybe that thing is holding you back. Maybe you drink too much, or maybe there's something, you know, uh, that, that is throwing something off uh, so drastically. Uh, maybe you're an MMA fighter, and every time you get into a, a match, you get twisted up like a pretzel and get topped out because your body's too tight and you need to work on mobility or something. So I see her point, but I also think even in the case of, like, the MMA athlete, uh, Brock Lesnar was was the heavyweight champion of the world in that sport and uh, came in with, with no MMA background previously. Dan Severn is another example of that, someone who, who was so strong and so uh, well-versed in wrestling. Dan Severn didn't even have any offensive moves. He doesn't have a hateful bone in his body. He doesn't even want to punch anybody. And he just came to my gym and we had him on the podcast and he doesn't have a scar. He doesn't have a bump. He doesn't have a bruise. He's got nothing on him. He fought the most dangerous people in the world because he doubled down in his strength. So I understand the concept of, of working, you know, this weakness. And uh, maybe if something kept rearing its ugly head, like you kept pulling your hamstring in competition, then you'd have to kind of like look into like what is causing that. Uh, but I think that where a lot of people are wasting their time is I think you should be doubling down on the things that you're good at. That's where you're going to make your money. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, you know, we're, we, we all can't be, you know, good at every single thing. And I think, you know, and, and some people are just, you know, it's kind of this whole balance and in, uh, I want to say moderation, but I mean mediocrity, you know, because it's kind of, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, it's kind of, uh, we have this sort of mentality that, you know, all things in moderation, then it becomes all things in mediocrity. And uh, so I think there's, 
you know, to the theme of this podcast of being, Hey, hold on. That's a shirt. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. There, Dr. Baker. There we go. That shirt. Little shirt. Yeah. All things. That could be for your podcast. I like Maybe that. So. <laughs> I like good. that a lot. That's really good. What, what's, what's, so you guys are up in LA for the, for the LA, what is it? The fit expo LA or what the heck is yeah. this? And what, what goes on there? There's just a bunch of meatheads coming together trying to talk about, you know, Lots selling their selling products and girl, girls in girls skimpy outfits and guys all oiled up, standing around. Is that kind of <laughs> what it is? We're the guys in the skimpy outfits, yeah. That's guys in the skimpy outfits. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, Fitness Expo. It's been going on for the last maybe about 12 years or so and gained some popularity the last maybe about three or, six, three or four years. Um, I've been going to it every year for a while. Um, and it's, it's been, you know, it's been a lot of fun. Actually, the Staples Center is where they've had some of the, uh, some of the um, uh, original Los Angeles Fit Expos. And uh, that's where I've, I've actually done my first 800-pound bench uh, was there. And so it's, it's just been really cool to come down to this event uh, every year. And this year we have a booth there. I got my Slingshot products there. And there's a lot of other fitness uh, celebrities, guys it's, like Michael Hearn and people like that will be there. It's a really get great opportunity for people that are fans of his to actually like get to meet him face to face. And people like to me, the best part of being his brother is just watching people go crazy. Like they go show up like Mark Bell, oh my God, no. And they, they basically go crazy every time they see him. And to me, like, you know, just I've known him forever and watching him grow up and, and um, go through, you know, uh, he had problems in school and, and, you know, things like that. Just watching how successful he's become makes me so proud that I just get fired up seeing all these people get fired up for him. And, um, but also it's a great place where um, I get a lot of people that come up to me that are, you know, in tears because uh, they got off the drugs because they saw the Kratom movie or they saw prescription thugs or so a lot of people say bigger, stronger, faster, change your life. But usually it's changed your life in a way where they're like, hey, man, thanks a lot. My girlfriend doesn't care that I use steroids, you know. <laughs> that's, that's the life. That's the kind of life changing that movie did. Or their mom doesn't care that they use steroids. But to me, like, I get a lot of satisfaction of, of seeing Mark interact with his fans and the people that really love him. And, and it it's really means a lot for us to go to all these expos. Like we go to the Arnold, we go to the Olympia, and they're just fun. You know, my fans are like the uh, guy in uh, Coming to America that sees Eddie Murphy at the basketball game, and he just absolutely flips out. I don't know how many people remember, <laughs> that, remember that movie, but my fans are like they're you know they're not everywhere. They're they're at these expos. They're people that are coming from gyms, and they're people that I'll meet someone at the airport, or grocery store, but it's like it's few and far between. Like I'm not the Rock, you know. But when these people do uh, run into me, they, they like don't understand like why I'm in a certain spot or whatever. So it's really funny. Like, what are you doing here? I'm like, why, why wouldn't I be here? Yeah. You know, yeah. why wouldn't I be at the grocery store buying meat? Doesn't it make sense? Yeah. A lot of times we'll just be walking down the street and somebody will yell out the window, Mark, no! People do that. Like, on YouTube. Yeah, like, people do that a lot. They like yell out of their car and stuff like that. It's, it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. The Sounds like a great people. way to get motivated. The best is when my, you know, because of Bigger, Stronger, Faster, a lot of times my parents will get recognized and that's really funny because they love it. Like they, they couldn't have anything better happen to them than they get noticed in like a Chinese restaurant or something like, oh my God, we're up for Chinese food. The guy recognizes us, you know, and they, they're always, they call every time it happens, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's kind of interesting, you know, from my perspective, um, you know, when I had my birthday, I turned 52 a couple, you know, I guess two weeks ago or so. And 
I went out to a, one of these all-you-can-eat Brazilian steakhouses, right? And I'm, I'm in there and I'm eating. And then the, the waitress comes up and says, hey, that couple over there paid for your bill. And oh, I was like, wow, that was super nice. So, you know, I went to talk to them. And then they had started the diet and, you know, just wanted to say thank you. And, of course, I was very happy, you know, Amazing. thankful for them to do that. But it's kind of interesting. Now you got to worry about, you know, going out, you know, what are you, what are you, what are you dressing like? <laughs> you know, right, right. Sean, now all the vegans are going to give you grief for getting that free meal because clearly that's your motivation. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of funny because obviously, you know, I, I'm taking a very controversial stance on diet. And, and, and the, the funny thing is I, I'm fully supportive of people eating a vegan diet if they want to do it. It's just the other opposite is when they want to say, you know, don't, you can't eat meat because it's bad. And I, I just disagree with that. And so, but I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure I've been recognized by vegans out and about. But they've never, they've never come up and said anything to me. It's always been the people that are. Well, just, they realize how, how damn big you are. They're like, well, I mean, you know, I don't know maybe that. Something. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, just, and when I, when I first met, you know, and I go back to, I know I've talked to this about this before, but I, when I first met, you know, Chris and Mark, when I had, when I was up on the podcast, you know, a little over, I guess it's been over a year now, has it more yeah. than a year ago. And I uh, was talking to Mark about, you know, Mark has this just tremendous uh, microphone or megaphone and he's, 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 you know, he's got this reach. And I said, well, it's cool that you're starting to get into health. And it's, it's really been really heartwarming to see how you guys both have been continuing to do that and and using that, that, uh, that to spread that positive message there. And I think that's really, you know, really something cool. How cool is it to be part of all this? And, you know, you, you've been on, uh, you guys have both been on Rogan. We've been on Joe Rogan over here. And now you got uh, J-Lo and A-Rod yeah. you know, talking about this 10-day challenge, which is kind of a, a carnivore diet. You took a picture with that giant, A-Rod took a picture with that giant uh, They were, they were at Gold's gym the other day. And you kind of can't help but think like that. That's not a coincidence at all. Like that's direct result of, you know, podcasts like this, and that's directly oh, yeah. of, of people like ourselves talking about this and Joe Rogan talking about it. I mean, this, this is huge. Almost everybody I hear that started a carnivore diet, I, I literally think it's 90% or maybe above mentions, hey, I, I heard Dr. Sean Baker on Joe Rogan, and that's where it started. You know, so most of the people I'm run, coming into contact with have come through uh, Dr. Baker, and I think, you know, you should be commended for that. That's a huge deal. Well, I mean, that's you know, more, more serendipity than anything else. But I, I think, you know, and this is a weird thing about celebrity and, you know, the fact that, you know, Mark was breaking, you know, records, powerlifting, just this tremendous stuff, you know, and it just gets you out in front. And so now you're in front of people. Now you've got to figure out what do I do with that? And, you know, and, and you know, and for, you know, and, I, and for whatever reason, you know, I guess Joe Rogan thought I was, you know, I mean, there's a lot of guys that were doing this, doing this before I did it. But for yeah. some reason, you know, he noticed me just because maybe he, 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 he gravitates towards athletes. You know, he's got this MMA thing he's been doing for his for years and years. But, you know, I think that's that's just a weird thing that it just kind of worked. worked it's also way. pretty unique that you're, you know, you're a doctor. You know, there's a lot of. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's some different stuff. You're, you're a world record holder. You're a doctor. You do all these crazy things, you know, like that most people can't do and you just eat meat. So it's a very interesting interview. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I, and I never plan on going there. What less, what was the deal? Cause I went Rogan, you know, he met Joe Rogan messaged me and said, Hey, I'm going to go on the, on the carnivore diet. The bell brothers convinced me. So what did you, how did you guys get him to do that? And I, and I, and I haven't heard from him since. So I don't know if he's still doing it or what his deal was. <laughs> so here's that. my suspicion. Uh, still there? Uh, 
Yeah, there you go. My suspicion is that he's doing it, but he's keeping it quiet. Like he's trying it out and not saying anything so that when he gets to the end of it, he can actually give a fair assessment of it. That would be my opinion of it. Or he's not doing it and he's not contacting us because he's not doing it. I'm not sure <laughs> which one it is, but he, you know, he said he was going to do it. And uh, he usually seems to stick to his guns on everything that he says. So I've never known him to not do that. So he did say uh, back that he was doing it and he said that he was kind of doing something a little similar almost uh, kind of before that, yeah. before that time. He said, anyway. I'm already kind of eating that way. So it's, it's not too much of a stretch. So he's either doing it and not saying, or he's, and I just, I just basically just pressured him, you know, with a, <laughs> you know, with, I, uh, some text messages. I don't know if Stone Cold went back on it yet. I'll have to follow up with him. But, uh, you know, he went on it and he lasted like three days. Yeah, I remember. Think after you did his podcast. But then he called me the other day, you know, all fired up again, saying that he was going to do it. So we'll see. And I, yeah. I got, I got Frank Stallone starting to do it. Right. But I want to get Sly to do it because Sly has all this uh, pain. He's in a lot of pain. And I, I don't know. I've talked to Sly on the phone about Kratom uh, t two times. Um, but I tried to get him to do carnivore and he kind of balked at it. And I'm trying to get his brother to talk him into it. So we're trying to get a brother's podcast going. Hopefully that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I really, you know, I really like what uh, J-Lo and A-Rod did because you know, a 10 day challenge is a really, like, that's pretty simple for people to do. And, and you starting uh, world carnivore month is brilliant too. And, you know, I did it last year and I, I did it for the month and it, it, I, it felt good, but like, I think I was still trying to do it more keto than anything. And like, I just wasn't eating enough. And so it didn't, it didn't feel great. And then this time around when I did, it, I was like, okay, this is how it's supposed to feel. This feels really good. And so, um, I think, the biggest mistake people can make is, is a being closed minded, you know, don't, don't be closed minded to any of these diets, be, be open minded to them. And then also whenever you try any diet, there's no reason to start with calorie restriction. There's no reason to start with fasting. Like don't, don't just go all out of nowhere, jump all in and be like, all right, I'm just eating meat and I'm going to do cardio Monday morning and I'm going to do a double session that day. I'm going to lift. And that that's where people's mind starts to go because they, they do recognize they're in trouble. They do recognize they're not in the shape that they want to be in. And then so they try to fire five or six different things out at one time. And it's like, well, let's just start with getting used to the food. How about we get walking? If you already have a gym routine going, then let's keep that going. But let's not go adding in so much stuff that you can't even see what the hell's going on, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've talked about that before too, where it's like you get all these kind of like fitness hacks or dietary hacks and sometimes people get like really ambitious and they want to jump on all of them at once and then you're like balancing this like stress overload because you're changing so much all at once. Sometimes it's easier, all right, let's do this one first, get the feedback and then if I want to implement the other stuff as I get going, that's kind of the way to go. So um but yeah, either way, I think the, the challenges are awesome. Those motivate people. People like to have that kind of goal at the end or that being a part of something. So uh, it's, it's interesting. There's so many people right now suffering from anxiety and depression. Uh, it just makes sense just to try something, whether it's this particular mm -hmm. diet or whether it's a keto diet or a low-carb diet. Or, it doesn't really matter what kind of diet it is. It makes sense to try something because what if that one thing was the one thing that really helped you? And you could kind of, you could get over, uh, you know, being depressed is, is a horrible thing. This is a real problem for our youth. Anxiety is a real horrible thing for a lot of people. But I think you would have, if you were able to stay more active, 
And if you had more responsibility for yourself, I think that you most likely would have less anxiety because you would be accomplishing a lot of things every day. Even something like going to the gym is an accomplishment. It makes you feel good about yourself for the day. So I just would love to see people be a little open-minded, try something for you know a week or two weeks, just give it a shot. I get a ton of messages all the time uh, on Instagram, literally a ton of them, <laughs> where they're, um, people are, have depression and anxiety. And since I made this movie about Kratom, they want that to be the answer. And I would say nine times out of 10 when I email them back, and I know that Dr. Baker would, would, be, would be proud of this, I always say, you know what? Kratom can help with those things, but you really need to be on a carnivore diet or a ketogenic diet. Uh, I'll send them to meat heels, you know, and that's the first step. And like, if you can, like, you can use Kratom and you can try that, that would be great. But you have to do this. Like, if nothing else, you have to try this diet because I have seen it, um, especially on meat heels, seen it help so many people with depression and so many people with anxiety. And, you know, Dr. D'Agostino uh, had shown me some studies about a ketogenic diet that had done wonders for anxiety more than even some of the uh, anxiety drugs that are on the market. So I think if people know that, and that's just great knowledge to have, and I think that it's great knowledge to spread around. Like it might not work for everybody in that way, but we've seen it work in a lot of people that way. Yeah, I mean, clearly it's helping in, in that regard. I see that all the time, every day. I mean, I get somebody, and, 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 yeah. and you know, I'll post, like I posted a, a thing up the other day. I think yesterday this guy, he said, I have PTSD. I'm no longer depressed. My anxiety is going away. And I said, look, it's helping with this. And then, you know, there's much people say, yeah, yeah, great, great, awesome. It's helping me. It's helping my depression. <clears throat> and then there were three or four people say, no, it doesn't help with that. And I'm like, okay, maybe it doesn't help for everybody. But, you know, the, the, to go back to the thing about A-Rod and, and Frank Stallone and Sylvester yeah. Stallone, <clears throat> you know, we are seeing a tremendous push to go to this processed food and you know in the guise of plant-based but it's really processed food if you saw what the eat lancet organization recommended to feed the yeah. world it was 53 percent of the calories came from grain sugar and seed oil which i think is awful and so i think we yeah, have to get terrible. more and more people of influence whether it's you know celebrities or guys like you know yourselves to step up and say this is not the way we want to go and you know it's kind of like i was in uh, it's kind of funny because there's such a media bias against you know us eating really you know what i think we're naturally designed to eat which is meat uh outside magazine you know it just came out and it had david goggins on the cover and i know you had david goggins on your yeah, show recently but right. they had an article and i was mentioned in there and the guy was saying you know i tried to carnivore diet for 30 days i felt pretty good but you know i had digestive issues i had some diarrhea and i'm, I'm never going to do it again right and, and kind of saying and, and then and of course he had the 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 sort of standard scientist saying oh it's a crazy diet you shouldn't do it that's a, that's a standard party line we have. It's, you know, it, it works for some people, but it's kind of crazy. Don't do it. So at the end of his article, he said, I'd never do it again. But he wrote me back an email and said, yeah, I'm going to try it again in the summer because I felt so good. So we've got this. We see what's going on in the media. Yeah. And this, this writer is told, your conclusion needs to be, you'd never do it again. It's a bad yeah. idea. But in real life, he's telling me, hey, man. I'm going to do it again because I really felt good. So, I mean, I Isn't think. not crazy, though? And that, but that's what gets printed, right? It gets printed, right. I'll never do it again. And uh, that's what the world thinks. So it's like we got to change those perceptions. But and I think, you, know, you know, I got your back on all this. I've been, we've been spreading this as, as far as we can. We're doing another meetup, which is going to be yeah. great. You know, just the more we can get out there with this, the better, you know. 
Well, I think it's going to be up to, you know, it's going to have to be grassroots. And, and, you know, fortunately we have podcasts and social media and Instagram and, you know, although that's kind of interesting because some of that stuff's getting censored now. We're seeing guys like uh, Dr. Malcolm Kendrick, who brilliant guy, he was a physician out of the UK that his Wikipedia page got deleted because he said that cholesterol may not be the primary driver of heart disease. They just deleted him and said, you're not relevant anymore. So that's, that stuff is happening. Let's talk about the Super Training Classic a little bit, guys, because I'm, I'm right. excited to go up there. I will tell you, because I've got the World Rowing Indoor Championships like two weeks later, so I'm not going to go. I don't want to get crazy or get injured. So i got to know, Chris, what are you going to pull? <laughs> you know, what are you going to pull, Mark? Because i gotta, I got I to kind of plan. I'll probably pull about uh, 315. My How much are you going to do? Gonna, I'm going to try for 315. Okay, nice. <laughs> so if, as long as you can do more than that, you'll be all right. Now, I don't, I don't know, man. I, you know, my deadlift – I had gotten up to like 550, and um, that's about all I, I, I got to. And then um, I feel like since then, I might, I might be getting a little bit weaker. And I just tore my hands apart, uh, deadlift, doing some extra sets for Michael Hearn's birthday. <laughs> so if I recover from this, I'm going to try to pull, I'm going to try to pull at least, you know, 550 again. I'll, I'll at least make that one of my attempts. Um, I think I, I think I can actually do more, but, um, I feel a little run down in the past couple of weeks, so I'm not going to put too great of an expectation. The real goal of the whole thing is to have fun, and that's what I, that's why I really want to go and do it. You know, I, last year I did 407, so as long as I do better than that, we're good. You know, I think for me, um, you know, my main plan is just a bench press. But right. I got uh, my podcast engineer Andrew Zaragoza. I convinced him to do the bench and the deadlift. So if he's going to bench and deadlift, then that means that I have to too. And so um, I haven't even deadlifted in a few weeks. So I'll just kind of like let her rip on game day. And uh, I'll probably just start with like 500 pounds and then go, go from there and see what the hell happens. Hopefully I don't hurt myself. Yeah, that, that'll be my plan. And all that what what like do you nice. think you got in you, Doc? Man, you know, it's kind of funny because I can, I can do a ton of reps. I mean, I'm conditioned from endurance standpoint. I have not attempted, I think, any, any more than 520 in seven years. I mean, I just haven't. I haven't just. Well, you I just, deadlifted like seven fifty or seven. I've done seven seventy two. It was my best, you know, years ago when I was, you know, I was a powerlifter and, and a big fat guy like Mark. What was your I mean, best? Mark's done like something around <laughs> that close to that seven. seven yeah, seven sixty six. Yeah, he did seven sixty six. Almost, almost the same. Yeah, but I mean, I can't bench or squat where the dam. So I mean, doesn't it, it, you know? It's, it's I think your arms uh, are too long. You know, I think it'd be good for you to start out with, you know, 500 something and then yeah. kind of go. Just yeah, I'll probably do that. Yeah. Moves I, real easy. Then maybe you, uh, you know, get close to 600 pounds. I think, I think you could deadlift 600 pounds. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I, I'll bring a belt. I, I haven't trained with a belt in God, 10 years or more. I mean, it's just, I just don't do it anymore. I just, I just, because I, because I don't go for max singles anymore. And so, I mean, you know, usually a belt, you know, 20, 30 pounds, maybe something like yeah. that. So we'll have to see what, uh, it's great that we're all making our excuses up front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're old. I'm old. Hey, I'm but the oldest I, guy. You always remember the powerlifting meets. There was always excuse. That, hey, but you'll get it next time. And yeah. then it was always like, oh, my bench shirt was too tight or my squat suit, you know, was the wrong size or everybody uh, has yeah. an excuse. Yeah, your hips shot up too quick. It wasn't because the weight was too heavy. That's yeah. right. And yeah. Your friend always tell you, don't worry, bro. You got it next time. You know? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prophylactically make my excuses ahead of time. You know, I'm old. I haven't trained in a long time. <laughs> You look amazing. Who are you kidding? You oh, showed man, up good. for our podcast all shredded. I, you know, I don't know who you're trying to kid. You're, well, not, you're not that old. 
Well, you know, I'm, I, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. You know, hopefully got a few more years of me. According to the vegans, I'm about to drop dead any day now. It's kind of kind of comical when they, you know, they're like, yeah, you're, you're going to, you look like you're about to die. Aren't you like 80 or something like that? I always get that. It makes me laugh. But uh, it's kind of the eye of the beholder. Um, let's, Chris, so talk a little bit about the, the well, I mean, we probably don't need to. We, we're going to meet up. We're going to see in two, two days and we're going to yeah. eat meat and we're going to hang out and have a good time. And uh, you guys enjoy the LA Fit Expo. Yeah. Um, Mark, how often do you guys do the meet the it's at the uh, hop daddies is that where you guys yeah, do it hop, hop daddy burger bar is the sponsor and the, the way that that came about was great my friend matt schweitzer uh actually started out as dr baker's friend and i stole him he was uh he, he called dr baker to do a, a console and then i guess he was a fan of my movies and um matt's just a really cool guy he's really you know he's jacked and he's strong and he loves carnivore and he's the um CEO of operations of Hop Dotty, which is a great burger place. And so I said, hey, we're going to do this carnivore meetup. We need a place to do it. And he just immediately said, hey, we'll do 150 burgers for you. So they're doing it. You know, they're, they're um, you know, comping the food for us. And, um, yeah, and we're going to do it again. We did the first one we did in Huntington Beach. This time, one's going to be in Playa Vista. But it's just a great place, and it's great to have some uh, vendors that, that are willing to uh, – to help out and be involved. And I know that like Sean has gotten a bunch of meat companies on board for world carnivore month and things like that. And it's just great that a lot of these companies are coming together and allowing us to do these things. Yeah. I'm just kind of, it was kind of interesting because Matt, when I was talking, I, you know, he did a consult with me. I was talking about how to implement diet and talking about some training because he, he's trying to do CrossFit stuff and, you know, and, and kind of some of the stuff I do kind of similar type training style. And uh, in the course of it, he goes, Hey man, can you hook me with Chris Bell? I love that guy. <laughs> and he sent you all this free damn hop dotty stuff and yeah he never sent it to me though but i was like what the heck dude i know i don't know well hey we'll hook you up man no, no i'm kidding i i, I think no well, he's right crazy. across the street from my house so i was going there every day nice know, that's perfect that's perfect <laughs> well guys thanks for coming on i know you guys get you guys are busy and and you know i know it's uh you know just great to, to have you dedicate some time to to help us with the podcast and uh no we we love it man I, your podcast i recommend so many people all the time. So hopefully your numbers are growing because uh, virtually every, anybody that asks me about a carnivore diet, I just say, you got to listen to Dr. Baker's podcast. And I usually just share an episode with them and, uh, and then they're in. So I think that's, you know, we just got to keep spreading the good word. Yeah. I mean, we're having fun. Zach and I are having a great time with this. I told you, know, when Zach and I first did our podcast and I'm already, I'm jealous of you and William, you guys already got a studio and all that stuff. And Zach and I's first <laughs> podcast, we went to like the, uh, what was it called? The El Motel. The and El Motel and Flagstaff. It was like a cheap $30 room hotel. And that was our podcast studio. And we we're kidding about where are we going to fit the archery, you know, like Rogan's, where are you going to fit the archery range? You know what's beautiful about tech. this? Bro? You, don't, you don't need anything. You're like, you, right. know, you know, that's not really my studio. That's somebody else's space. They're letting us use it. You know, it's, it's great that we have that. But, um, you know, the way that you guys are doing it is just fine. It works for me. I listen to it every time. Yeah, we're having the fun. ears either way, right? All right, well, let us know where we're – let folks know that don't know already because I'm sure everybody does, but let us know where to find you guys, what do you guys got coming up, where to, where to – where can Mark's fans find him over the next six months? And same thing with you, Chris. Where are you guys going to be hanging out so people can get a hold of you? And I know you guys are answering questions all the time, and I'm sure you probably want more people to ask you questions. So. The uh, Super Training Classic is February 9th and 10th. Got uh, Dr. Baker and myself, my brother here. Uh, we have uh, Jake Cutler and uh, Charity Witt, Jason Kalipa, a bunch of great lifters are going to be there. And um, 
it would be a good opportunity for people to get to see some uh, heavy lifting, some heavy benching, heavy heavy uh, deadlifting also. And then um, I will also be at the um, Arnold Classic this year, which is out in Columbus, Ohio, and that's where I get an opportunity to meet a lot of fans. And uh, other than that, people can check me out. Uh, I have a website, markbellslingshot.com, or you can check out my Instagram, which is at Mark Smellybell. And also uh, Super Training Gym, the world's largest free gym in uh, West Sacramento, right? Yes. Just, they can just walk in the gym if they have the guts. Were you guys the first guys to come up with this free gym idea? Because I thought it was just – I'd never heard of that before. I thought it was so cool. I guess, you know, it must be – you know, I understand I, I understand the mechanics of it and why it probably works pretty well for you guys. But that's so cool. I mean, if I lived up there, man, I'd be over there every damn day training, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. The, the, yeah, the gym is free. Uh, I made the gym free um, – kind of around the time that I created the slingshot, the slingshot uh, allowed me to, to make the gym free. And um, it's worked out great for us because we, we have men and women in there that are just really hungry to get better. Uh, everyone has the same goal. Everybody wants to get, you know, some people might want to lose weight or gain weight or whatever, but for the most part, everybody in there is there to get stronger. The gym is designed for strength. And so it has everything and anything you need to get stronger. And uh, all we suggest is just, uh, you know, hit us up on Instagram. It's just uh, the Super Training Gym on Instagram. Just let us know that you want to come in and check it out. But the gym's free, and there's uh, no strings attached. We just want you to work hard. That's it. And Mark, you've been you've been getting some really uh, interesting people on your uh, your podcast. Um, you know, like all kinds of do- you know top level athletes. And who do you got coming up over the next few months that you're excited about? I know you just saw something about. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Bones, Bones, Bones Jones coming on. Yeah. So talk about who you got coming up. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm trying just to get just high level people. You know, I just, I'm obsessed with rubbing elbows with people that have, uh, you know, competed at a high level or, uh, have, uh, performed something at a high level or had a business at a high level. Um, there's some of the smarter people I've ever been around and, and it doesn't, it doesn't have to do with like, uh, them having a uh, high prowess in like academics or, uh, or anything like that. Like one of the, one of the smarter individuals uh, that I've ever met, somebody that was able to articulate and break things down in such a simple form was a guy by the name of Eric Spoto, who is a world record holder in a bench press. But when you talk to him about strength, he just simplifies everything so much. You're just like, you're, you're kind of dazed and confused by it because there's, while what he's saying is simple, it's highly effective. Uh, he would say something like, um, and he kind of sounds like a, uh, kind of sounds like an Italian uh, mafia guy in some way. So uh, <laughs> it's not always picked up that he's uh, really intelligent. But you know, he he does these kind of partial range of motion uh, movements in the bench press, and when people ask him about that, he's like, "Well, if I go full range of motion, it hurts my joints." So he keeps a shorter range of motion, and when he needs to, and he does a competition, then he would lock things out just the way uh, everybody else did. But he was smart in his training. He never banged himself up in, in his training. He was able to end up hitting a, a 722-pound uh, bench press. So I've had everybody from like somebody like that on there to somebody like Ron Penna, who created Quest Nutrition, <coughs> to guys like yourselves. Uh, it's just been great you know, to, to explore you know, everything from rowing to running to lifting to business. Uh, it's just it's just a lot of fun. So hopefully I can continue to get some uh, good people on the show. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, it, you guys have a good thing going on over there, and it's fun to see uh, everything progress. But uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. You've been real gracious with your time. We really look forward to getting this one out to our listeners. 
for uh for my stuff if people want to find me um it's at big strong fast and uh my new podcast which we had dr baker on the first episode with a guest uh that's called better stronger faster and that's anywhere that you can find podcasts and uh we have a couple of really cool guests coming up for that too that we already recorded so let's take a look for that and uh again at big strong fast on the instagrams Awesome. And sorry for interrupting you, Chris. I didn't mean to cut you off with your plugs, but we'll, we'll link all that to the show notes for the listeners too, so they can click on over and check it out. Um, but thanks for coming on guys. No problem. Thank, Thank you. you guys. Appreciate it. What do you guys got for tonight? Are you guys? Thank you for listening to this episode of the human performance outliers podcast with hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.